Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor's easy-to-use drag-and-drop interface. You just drop in the conversations you have with your co-host, your monologues, or whatever else you want to record, and combine that with sound effects and music, and hit publish. It's really just that easy. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Monorail News Weekly. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Ben Lancaster, the director and writer of what's sure to be a cult classic, Walt, or um, excuse me, The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head. This movie was filmed at Walt Disney World without Disney's permission. It's really cool and a whole lot better than the other one that was filmed um, at the parks. Um, you might remember it from a, a number of years ago. Um, it was totally black and white and just downright weird. I won't name names. How are you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, so, what made you... What, what was the impetus for this movie? Um, you know, I've always been really interested in the uh, Disney parks and Disney history ever since uh, visiting the parks from uh, the Midwest when I was a kid at age five. Um, uh, you know, that laid a seed in my uh, heart that I think eventually blossomed into this film. Um, but uh, the impetus was really the title came first and it was just sort of a joke among some of my friends. We're uh, pitching sort of ridiculous movie titles. And uh, um, once that one came out of my mouth, I knew that there was something a little bit more here than just a ridiculous title. Uh, so that was sort of the start. And then we uh, developed it out of that. Uh, how long did it take to go from this could be a movie? We have a script. Um, that process was probably about uh, six to eight months, I think, uh, before the script was in the form that we wound up shooting. Um, so it was a significant period of time of sort of development of, of process, of research. Um, and that ultimately led to us uh, coming out with the product, uh, coming out with the script that we wound up shooting. And did you know from the beginning that you would be actually visiting Walt Disney World to record this, or did that come um, later? Was that was that part of like the challenge, or? Well, 
Well, that was always part of the plan. There was originally a version of the script. I think I think the name character's name was uh, Finley, or it was something that sounded very close to Disney, but was different. And it was just going to be sort of this alternate timeline with this Walt Disney-like character, um, and it just never quite gelled. And uh, you know that that was just something that. <laughs> It wasn't going to work as well for a number of reasons, and at one point we just threw up our hands and said, "No, we're we're making a movie about Walt Disney. It's gonna gonna take place there. It's gonna be shot there, and um, we're gonna do what we uh, have to to make it work." How long did you entertain the Finley idea? <laughs> um, I I want to say that was in development for a significant period of time, uh, maybe a, a month or so. Um, there's a version of a script on some hard drive somewhere that has a little more fleshed out uh, version of that. But uh, it wound up – honestly, what was – uh, what killed it was it wound up just being so cynical. Um, in doing a parody version of Disney, it, it was just the you didn't have the magic, you didn't have the kind of um, uh, cultural connections that Disney has that the that right. Walt has, I should say, uh, not Disney the company necessarily, but Walt specifically. Um, and so you wound up with this kind of. Uh, he, I can't even remember the character's name on The Simpsons, but their version of Walt Disney. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who makes the uh, itchy and scratchy so. cartoon? I've seen the, 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 the American Dad episode where they go to Family Land yeah. and meet Roy Family. And <laughs> um, and he's frozen, but he's in the statue, like the partner statue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it, it was just – it was kept veering off in that direction, and I, it was hard to pull it back into this – real sort of character instead of the stereotype um so uh, you know inspired by some other movies that kind of played fast and loose with some historical characters we just you know jumped forward so you knew from the beginning that you were going to film at walt disney world at any point did you try and contact disney and ask if this was okay or did you just kind of Jump right in. We really thought that asking permission was going to um, do just like get the project shut down. And so there was a forgiveness versus permission uh, calculation that went into it. Um, So we erred on the side of forgiveness. Um, uh, We did contact one other park in the Orlando area, and it's kind of a reveal in the film where they go. And uh, we were uh, we were denied from filming in there. So uh, um we, uh, well, I mean, I can see why. I've seen the movie, and I can't imagine they would like what you had to say about them. Well, um, for those of you who haven't, uh, just uh, wait about 30 minutes into the film, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. So did Disney ever reach out about the movie? No, I've never heard a thing from the company in any uh, either official or back channel capacity. Uh, my guess is there was about uh, there was some sort of meeting and uh, they were told to they uh, came to the consensus to drop it and I hope they uh, keep that policy moving forward. So no one from Disney's contacted you and you're like, okay, so we're gonna do this. What's the process like? Uh, of going and actually doing it 
Um, well, you know, it was a multi-stage process. Um, there were uh, several scouting trips, um, and then it really came down to us knowing exactly what we needed to get, um, the exact angles we needed to get, the coverage we needed to achieve, the, the actors going in, knowing their blocking, knowing their lines, so that when we got there on the day, we could just step right into it and walk through it. So it was really about a lot of planning. Um, it was knowing exactly where the scenes were going to take place and um and really about executing at that point um very heavy on the pre-production um so that there were no surprises when we showed up or at least no surprises we could uh, potentially have planned for not have planned have you, for. That, have you seen the movie the founder about mcdonald's yes yes i have i'm imagining you and the entire cast, like that scene where they're out of like the tennis court and they're mapping out exactly how the restaurant will work. I'm imagining that, but for a movie. Uh, it, it's not too far from that. We held our rehearsals on a soundstage at UCF, and we actually uh, marked out sort of the physical locations of everything to the best of our ability. We obviously couldn't go in there with uh, tape measures, but uh, you know the physical obstacles and that sort of thing, and uh, ran through it with our cinematographer, knowing where she was going to be standing and our actors where they would be standing, and um, you know it was it was that level of precision. Then we ran it again, and we ran it again um, until we were absolutely sure that we were going to be able to pull off what we needed to. How many times did you have to go through it on average? Oh, uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, and part of that was rehearsal though, part, uh, you know, um, rehearsing for the characterization and the, um, and that sort of thing. So it wasn't all just, uh, um, you know, we were treating it more like a play that had a live performance that we needed to record in, in some ways. That's a really, really interesting way of looking at it. So how did you actually record this? Like when you're in the parks, obviously you can't bring like a movie camera in. So what are you using? Um, we had uh, – they're called Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Cameras. Um, they're very high-end but also very compact. Uh, and when, then we had some of what are very, very fine uh, cinema lenses uh, that attached onto them. And then we took those very fine, very expensive cinema lenses and we repacked them into very cheap uh, camera bags from Walmart so we look like tourists. And we um, <laughs> and we brought, brought all our equipment in and set it up inside. And it was actually a little bit with each person. Um, so no one person uh, looked like they were uh, – you know, carrying in the thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment that we actually were transporting. Huh. No one stopped you? No one blinked an eye? No, not not for cameras. And once again, the, the camera body itself was fairly small. Uh, the lenses are obviously a bit larger, and then we used a monopod, um, all of which are, are easily allowed in the park, are, are, you know, perfectly allowed in the park. So you said no one blinked an eye at the cameras. Does that mean someone maybe looked at you funny for something else? Um, you know, I can't say for each cast member's reaction, um, but uh, we did have some lookouts, making sure no uh, cast members were giving us a little too much attention. Um, and uh, the funniest cast member reaction we had was as we were going through the gates, the turnstiles for the very first time, um, the cast member who was the attendant there recognized our main actor, whose name's Peter, who's a local actor and has done a lot of theater in the area as well as some, right. some films. Um, and uh, he was recognized by the cast member uh, from one of the local uh, uh, plays he was in, I believe. And uh, 
the guy wanted to stop and have an extended conversation while we're recording. So <laughs> he had no idea. He had no idea what was going on. Wow. He, so he you did, had to re-record it, I assume. No, no, no. He we that all just stayed in. Um, so he he started talking to it, and eventually we wound up having to reset um, the thumbprint for that card just because he had he had used his finger and in the in the movie he puts a band-aid over his finger to so so they don't track his fingerprint and uses his thumb instead um so while this all is going on we're still rolling the entire time um expecting it to be a much quicker process because we weren't expecting the level of small talk that was going on (laughs) at the time so that happens are there any other funny in the park like this happened or that happened anything else that that Um, might be interested to know you know i that was honestly our biggest um hiccup as far as in park shooting um several of the uh, the rest went much more smoothly than we could have really anticipated um part of it was we intentionally filmed on dapper day and so there's a lot of people with their cameras out there's a lot of people taking photographs and video um and it also added this really nice kind of nostalgic look to the background because there's a lot of people in in old-timey clothing Um, i have to go back and rewatch it now because i did not notice that at all yeah um, i mean it's a subtle thing yeah we shot over several days and, and two of them i suppose at that point were dapper day um so you can definitely see the people in the background in in hmm. wearing those outfits so i have a question this, mm-hmm. this occurred to me while i was watching the film and this isn't a spoiler i don't think so there is a moment at the very beginning when they're establishing how they unthaw Walt, right? Mm-hmm. And there's these executives down there, and they're trying to brief him on like the entire company's year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Those meetings would have to go like 24-7, right? Like you have you have three days – and you have to like somebody's going to be in there all the time. I assume. Yeah, I, we don't we don't necessarily address some of the technical issues like does Walt sleep? Um, so some of those kind of got hand waved away, and um, we sort of said it's it's three days of intensive meetings, but it's not twenty four hours a day necessarily. Like there is some sort of break time, some sort of rest time. Uh, Sure. If nothing else for the executives to, to get a few hours of sleep here and there. Um, so we did kind of give ourselves a little wiggle room with the uh, right, logistics right. That there. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so there are parts of the movie that take place outside of the park. Probably a third of the movie is not on stage in the sense that it's in recognizable areas of the park. Was it always that way, or was there ever a moment where, like, 95% of this movie is going to be in the Magic Kingdom? Uh, no. Um, we knew kind of what the movie was, was that it's a story about Walt going to the Magic Kingdom. Um, so with that being the premise, it we didn't need to necessarily get Walt in there until sort of our third act. Um, you know, right. so, so some stuff takes place beforehand in, in the Magic Kingdom and then we leave and then we're, um, you know, some other things are going on and then we return. 
Um, so that was kind of the structure from the beginning. Um, you know, it, filming in the Magic Kingdom has definitely uh, pros and cons. Uh, you know, con, it's uh, um, a, not an easy shooting environment because you are not supposed to be doing what we were doing. Um, <laughs> right. Pro, uh, you know, you, we don't have a giant crew that we've got to feed every day. Um, you know, we don't have a, a bunch of lights to go around because you just got to deal with how you deal. So there is there is definitely an advantage to shooting gorilla style. Um but uh, so you've we, made movies before. This is not your first project. No, no, this is not my first project. This is uh, I, the I third feature I've made. I've made a few shorts, um, uh, some documentaries, um, some PBS specials, if you can believe it. So, really, I have a PBS passport. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So, huh? Um, pretty cool. So, how did you cast Walt? Um, I remember I followed you mm -hmm. on um, the crowdfunding campaign and you didn't have anybody for Walt at first. Oh, yes. For the first crowdfunding campaign, we did not cast Walt at that point. That was in between the time we'd shot at the parks and the time we were doing the rest of the shooting. Um, and at that point, we really needed the money for the rest of the shooting because if we didn't get it, it was going to be uh, – um, was, <laughs> there was a lot more cheap pizza for the, for the crew than uh, um, what we wound up uh, being able to spring and uh, a lot more gallons of paint we were able to afford to change the color of some walls and, you know, just the the we weren't right. we weren't paying our crew but the amount of money that goes into sort of um you know an army marches on its stomach and we had to sure. make sure they were taken care of and also the going into the production design and and you know that sort of thing um so uh yeah we had not cast walt at that point and we're just doing the rest of the product rest of the traditional production um which wound up taking um two and a half weeks in the in the summer so if you didn't cast Walt, you, you recorded in the parks without having Walt cast. Yes. So how did you splice in that audio? Well, uh, we had the entirety of the film shot before we had Walt cast. So it wasn't just the park footage. Um, it was a full year between the time that we recorded all of uh, everything and then the next summer when we recorded um, Ron. Um, and it was, uh, in looking back on it, a miracle that it came together as well as it did. Because you wouldn't know. Well, we had the entire film edited, and we knew exactly what we needed to drop Ron into the film. The the shots, down to the individual shots. And then we did retiming, um, but we recorded everything, and we replaced the camera assistant reading off screen with uh, Ron's audio and um, the green panel in the front of the uh, the front of the head jar with a uh, um, <laughs> imposed version uh, from uh, uh, from the footage we got from Ron shooting on a soundstage for three days so how did you get Ron? How did you get Dreamfinder? <laughs> uh, we reached out to him directly. I had met him at another event, a screening of, for a documentary, um, and uh, just kind of kept in the back of my mind. You know, this he could potentially be someone who could really pull this role off. Um, the thing you have to know about Ron is not only is he um, worked for the company, not only has he created that iconic role, not only did he take over for Wally Bogue at, at Disneyland, you know, not only has he been there at all these moments, he's just a huge Disney fan himself and uh, has this incredible amount of, of stored knowledge and um, experience with the company um, that he is 
uh, so generous with and um, just really poured out into the role um, to create something that that we just uh, a performance we thought was absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's a really cool guy to work with. I imagine. Oh, it's I just mean, so so good to work with. I mean, it almost gives the movie like an extra air of legitimacy, right? Like Disney might not be saying anything, but here's this guy that you really heavily associate with Disney, and he's not just promoting it; he's he's Walt. <laughs> um. Well, uh, you know, we asked Ron about that and, you know, is this going to jeopardize future uh, stuff with your company? And uh, if you uh, his response was uh, the fact that he wrote that book uh, from dream uh, from dreamer to dream finder, which I highly recommend uh, and is sort of a no bars whole uh, no no holds barred um, look at uh, working in the theme park industry. Um, so I highly recommend it. And uh, he kind of told me he burned his bridges when he did that. So um, I'll uh, I'll take him really? at his word on that. So they won't like because he came back from a destination D event. Oh, like, I'm sure they'd bring him. I'm sure they'd bring him back whenever they needed him. But uh, um, you know, he he uh, he just lays out you know the truth about working in the theme park industry. It's not a particularly negative light in any way, shape, or form. Right. But, you know, it's just the reality. And sometimes when you when you work for the mouse, uh, reality isn't always what they uh, want told. So. So, you decide, we're making this movie, we're filming at Magic Kingdom, we've got the Dream Finder. How do you cast everyone else? I, I understand that came before casting Ron, we, we but had an, yeah. how does that work? Casting, we had an open casting not at the same call. time. Uh, we had an open casting call for the film, and um, we kept the premise of the film a secret from everyone who was auditioning. Um, we ha- sent out the casting notifications under the title The Florida Project, which at that point was not a indie film that was also filmed in Orlando starlet- starring <laughs> William Defoe. It was... Uh, it also had some gorilla shots recorded at Magic Kingdom. It absolutely did. Um, and I actually got to send a copy of our film to the writer of The Florida Project, um, which uh, uh, tickled me to death. Um, um, and uh, so we we sent out these. So um, when you when you do cast a film, you have people read sides, which are selected scenes. Um, we rewrote specific sides um, that did not really mention the premise of the film and just made it look like this sort of domestic drama. Um, so that was uh, that was what we did, and then the very first cast read through. We bring all of our actors in. Um, we've got a large table that you know seats all of them. And sitting in front of everybody, we've got a, a non-disclosure agreement. Um, give everybody the chance to read over. Um, you know, basically, there's uh, criminal penalties if you uh, violate our trust. You're about to get some information. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, everybody uh, thought about it for a minute, I'm sure, and then uh, decided to sign. You know, just thinking we're being a little overprotective, this, that, and the other. And then we hand out the scripts, and as soon as they open the book up, uh, you know, the title up, and turn to the title page, this kind of group chuckle grows uh, from out of nervous laughter of what have they and just they gotten themselves know, they into? They all know they've burned every bridge with Disney in that moment. <laughs> well, can... I, don't, I don't know about that, but yeah. 
yes, it was. This is a this is a different project than they had signed up for. Hopefully, a more interesting project. Um, and no one were, walked out. No one. No one walked out. Um, you know, we took a few people aside who had moderate connections or you know that sort of thing and just said you know are you sure about this and no they were they were all on board a few people had little line change requests but it was really nothing major it was a character name here or there um but uh yeah it was uh it was pretty straightforward after that that's gotta be like a surreal moment like that could be a movie on unto itself <laughs> I, I, this, oh, by, by the way you're working on uh, a movie about Disney and Disney doesn't necessarily approve <laughs> well um, yeah so it was it was fantastic working with all those local actors though um, Orlando has such a huge pool of talented people um, and I think it's underutilized as a, as a media creation town um, and I understand I understand there are reasons for that and we can get into the history of Hollywood East but uh, um, it really has, a, has an incredible pool of talent that's there to be tapped into sure um, so you go and you're making this movie and none of the crew is getting paid so how does that work why are these all just people who are doing it because they love to do it well i was in the mfa program at ucf while we were making this and so a lot of our crew was drawn from the local film schools and it was people trying to get some credits under their belts okay yeah Um, yeah so you know we we covered meals we covered gas money um we did what we could um and but then a lot of our crew were you know, really thrilled to be working with the kind of big boy equipment that we were allowed to use. Um, some of them for the first time. Um, and, uh, you so know, nobody was, was like, don't put me in the credits. Um, I didn't get any requests to get pulled from the credits. So, uh, um, I'm trying to remember back and I don't think so. I don't think anyone had, had an issue with that. Everyone's, everyone seems to be pretty happy with the fact that they're in a movie that, you know, people have at least, uh, heard about before a little, so, so you decide to crowdfund this. Mm-hmm. What's the process behind? Okay, we're going to crowdfund this, and you did multiple campaigns. Mm-hmm. So, explain that. Um, well, we just uh, i I don't want to say there was a. a moral reason behind it we needed the money um you know so it was uh it was sort of a natural campaign this was one of those projects that if we didn't reach our initial crowdfunding goal um i don't know how it was going to get made and if we didn't reach our second crowdfunding goal which was a uh for post-production specifically i don't know if we would have had nearly as good of a look uh, good looking or sounding of a film as we wound up with um you know we raised um sixteen seventeen thousand dollars somewhere around there in crowdfunding between the two campaigns um that's fantastic for us um it's the coffee budget on a real movie um <laughs> You know, on a on a big Hollywood film, right. I should say. Um, it's and, probably around that amount of money. Yeah, uh, so it's uh, um, we we got an incredible level of production value for for what we had, um, and you know, part of that was there were people willing to do sort of in kind contributions, um, people willing to lend us things, and uh, 
Um, we got right. our equipment through uh, through the university. Um, we got a lot of locations through contacts that were that knew that we were this sort of you know kind of daring, gutsy film, and uh, <laughs> um, we're trying to do something that uh, you know wasn't wasn't quite smiled upon, and that kind of helped us at times. How did um, you get Lynn Testa? Uh, emailed him for his, for his cameo. Uh, we just reached out to him via email and, uh, you know, told him about the project, asked if he wanted to do the cameo and he, he was on board. So um, I was like, was, that's Lynn Testa. Yeah. Um, do you, did, were there any other cameos that I might've missed? You might have, um, both the trackers are in the film in vo- voice cameos. Um, so Tim and Jim tracker. That is correct. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the host of the, been? Uh, Tim was the voice of the elevator that says, please stand clear of the doors. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yes, if you listen, he, he gets in an elevator and says, please stand clear of the doors. And that's Tim uh-huh. Tracker. Yes. Um, okay. And then Jen is uh, the teacher that yells from another room when Molly's on the phone at school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, he said there was one more. Um, oh, uh, Big Fat Panda. Do you know him on Twitter? Yes. Yes, he is. Um, he is also the voice of the TV announcer uh, that w- uh, Walt watches a taped off VHS, uh, taped off television uh, version of uh, the Wonderful World of Disney or, or, some, or something. And uh, um, that he's the voice of the uh, TV announcer. So how, how did you decide which people in the community to ask to do cameos? Uh, I'm not saying there was a ton of logic to it necessarily. Um, sometimes it was someone I had a connection with um, or just met at some event or, or just kind of brought up naturally. And um, Len was the one that I kind of knew, oh, this would be absolutely perfect for it um, and just reached out to him directly. So it, it was definitely a process uh, for each one. Uh, was any, did anyone turn you down for a cameo? You know, I can't remember. I know some things sort of fell through that we were trying to do, just little in-jokes here and there. Um, I don't what kind of in-jokes? Just said absolutely no. Um, at one point, we wanted to use some artwork that was – or some uh, fake posters that for like Mineral King that uh, that was going to be in the background somewhere. And uh, the person who had the poster art just didn't quite get it to us. I, I, like, I can't even honestly remember all the details at this point of the stuff that just sort of fell through. Uh, there's there's right. always a million of those just little things here and there when you uh, um, uh, when you when you're making a project like this that you sort of mean to do and just sort of slip through the cracks. Right. So, did you when you were writing for Walt? Mm-hmm. How did you approach that? Because oh. I, I feel like I feel like. It would be really difficult to write. What would Walt think about Disney today? Um, you know, I I started with the Neil Gabler biography. I then moved on to several of the other biographies around there, and my goal was to read as much as I possibly could get my hands on, and specifically from multiple uh, perspectives. Um, you know, there's kind of the the positive biographies. There's the glowing biographies. Um, there's kind of the more neutral ones, which is where I put the Neil Gabler one, um, and then sort of the the hit jobs. Um, and I really tried to read a little bit from each one. Um, 
Sure. Or, you know, not a little bit from each one. I read multiple books from each one um, and, and articles from each one and, and really tried to get in the psychology of the character um, because – to me, uh, and and I think this is why the Neil Gabler one ultimately wound up being so helpful, um, because that book really takes a sort of armchair psychiatrist approach to Walt Disney, um, right. in a way that may not make for the best biography, but certainly makes for good research for a movie, because it's something you can sort of pin your hat, you know, pin, uh, um, you know, pin, pin the character on, and uh, I think that one even starts with the f- Frozen rumor has a, has a section about the Frozen rumor in it, um, which to me is what the movie's about. It's it's not that Walt was frozen; it's that there's this rumor that persists, and it percent persists because there's something about the character that makes this ridiculous idea plausible. You know, there's something that we think Walt might have considered in this. Um, you know, which is which is much more interesting than the sort of historical record of whether he did or not. It's it says something sure. about us, it says something about his public persona, it says something about what we assume based on that public persona. So I, I, I'm gonna assume you've read the novel Walking Walt. Uh, I actually have not. Um, it was I found out about that novel like halfway through writing it and just avoided reading it at that point. Like we gotta read it now. I, yeah, I, I might need to read it now. That it, it might be something that now I need to sit down with. Um, but it's it, something I avoided at the time, so I uh, I'll, I'll pick it up now. I, I'll uh, I'll let you know. Please. Um, so tell me when you when you look at the movie as a whole what do you think do you, are you happy with the way it came out is there are there things you would like to change movies are not finished they are abandoned especially a movie like this um, and at some point you just say like it's it's time the the deadline is here it's got to be released out into the universe um so i there are millions of little tweaks here and there i could spend more years than i've spent so far going through little tweaks and at some point you just let it go um and uh, let it go off and be its own thing um the, that's an awesome segue <laughs> can you tell me anything about the release of this movie the release of this movie uh you should be able to find it on amazon streaming uh on march 8th um that is our our currently scheduled release date um we haven't gotten the official confirmation that we're doing pre-orders, but if Amazon allows us to do pre-orders, we will be doing pre-orders. So um, all I can say is follow the Twitter and Facebook, and we will get that information out to you as soon as we get it. Um, we're just waiting for the final confirmation from Amazon Streaming that we're up and we can uh, – and they will take your money. <laughs> um, so, and is it going to be on iTunes? Uh, iTunes will Google come, Play? iTunes will come in a bit. Um, it was we're, – we're doing Amazon as our first initial rollout um, just because we feel like a lot of people have access to that. Um, we'll do iTunes. Uh, we'll try and get on Google Play as well. Um, YouTube I don't think is allowing us to sell the movie anymore, um, which is something we're planning on doing on YouTube and you used to be able to and they're, they're constantly sort of changing their platform up. But uh, Right. Um, yeah, we, we'll, we'll find a way to get it to you. If you don't have Amazon, hold on. It'll be there. It just might be a little bit later. I mean, I, for one, am so excited to run out and buy it. I mean, I've seen it. 
and I have the link to go back and rewatch it. But I, it's just so cool. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want to own it. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Now, you know, we're we're currently only doing only talking about digital releases at this point. Right. Um, what I'd love to do, and this is one of those things that if there was enough support for, we would definitely do this as sort of a separate Kickstarter. What I'd love to do was a collectible VHS version. Um, it's something <sighs> I've actually looked into. There are still companies that will do it. Um, Why VHS? Oh, th- I, to me, that's uh, to me that a lot of this movie is about nostalgia and. That's nostalgia for me. The Disney classics on VHS. Um, if I can do it in a clamshell, I do it in a clamshell. Um, you know, because those are the things that were lined up on on my TV shelf. And maybe it's just my particular age, but uh, um, it's one of those things. If we had, the, if I knew we had the support, uh, we would definitely, definitely do it on VHS. I'm just not sure that's uh, that's feasible for us right now. We we would have to get a lot of people signed up to make the the run. So. It's not because it's, it's a good format. <laughs> I'll throw that out there. <laughs> so Amazon first, mm-hmm. March 8th. iTunes and Google Play soon in the future. Soon in the future. At some point. At some point. If, you're, if you're chomping at the bit, um, Amazon, uh, you, can, you can buy, you can rent there. I mean, I'm just so happy that this movie um, – got made right i mean i I think we we live in in a climate right now where like we could use another walt right i mean no i just i think that's absolutely true um I also think Walt was a product of his time, though. Like, there is, you know, there's this this period in the mid-century where you sort of have this cultural consensus, and it wasn't totally a good thing, and it, but it certainly wasn't totally a bad thing, and Walt's very much a product of that. Um, but you're absolutely right. We could, we could use another visionary who really inspires the public. And I, mean, I think that's why... The frozen myth, the frozen rumor, right, still persists because people people love Walt mm-hmm. and people – it's almost like people don't want to let go. Even if it's not true, you sort of want the want the rumor to be true. You want the – Right. You, you want to believe story. that someday they'll unthaw Walt yeah. and we'll get – We'll get that that back. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me your time. Oh, no um, problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely been a pleasure. Um, you can follow the movie where can they follow you um the two best places for information are twitter waltz frozen head no o in frozen and facebook waltz frozen head with an o in frozen um so either of those two <laughs> places you can find out uh, more news uh the facebook is is pretty much purely news sometimes some um, um publicity stuff the twitter is waltz personal musings on life um the Twitter is awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, we, I tried. I tried. Um, 
So it's uh, it's just been an absolute pleasure being part of the Disney Twitter community. It wasn't something I was a part of prior to this project. You know, this, the, the Twitter account kind of reminds me of Disco Yeti's blog. Mm-hmm. You remember that yes. from um, a number of years ago? Yes, that was, that's a little while now, hasn't it? Yeah, it's... Oh, gosh, I remember the last thing he put out was, like, about magic bands. Oh, wow. And that was after, like, a couple years of, um, of a drought of content. Ben, we are rooting for your movie. We're rooting that it does really well. And we're going to be following what you do in the future. For all of your Disney news, please go to monorailnews.com and follow us on Twitter. We're at Monorail News. Have a great, big, beautiful tomorrow because tomorrow really is just a dream away. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week, and we think you're really going to love what we've got coming up. We've got Jim Corcus, famed Disney historian, who's going to help us debunk some Walt Disney myths. We've got Tim Delaney, the famed Imagineer who saved Disneyland Paris by building Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon. And we've got an inspirational story. We've got Seth Dickerson, a guy you might not have heard about, but you won't forget after hearing his story. You can support us by going to monorailnews.com, clicking the support us button, and sending us some change every month. It's less than the price of a Starbucks coffee. You can subscribe to the podcast and get this episode and future episodes for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen. You can send us fan mail through Anchor. Anchor is really awesome. You can send us fan mail. You can support us all through that program. It's awesome. Thank you. Have a lovely week. And remember, tomorrow is just a dream away. I've been Gray Hauser for Monroe News.